And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making things and baking things, historical or otherwise. And today we have a very special special guest. Um, this is Dr. Neil Buttery, um, who has many food history related products projects <laughs> um has been on tv has a podcast and has a new book that's just come out so thank you very much for coming on our podcast thank you very much for asking me so we normally start the podcast by sort of talking about the things the sort of personal projects that we've been doing um that mm -hmm. we've been either making or baking recently okay. uh so i don't liz if you want to start off and then we can go on to neil maybe um, I've actually got one of each this time. Excellent. Because I was doing some cleaning and I found my old uh, Stash Buster knitting project. Okay. Which is a hexagon blanket. So it's um, eight different colours of wool that I just sort of had left over from other things. And then I'm knitting them into a hexagon interlocking pattern, which is really relaxing and quite fun to do during meetings. Yeah, I do that too if it's like underneath the camera. Um you just need something to do with your hands sometimes. You do. You do. Um yeah, that sounds that sounds very colorful. I think I remember that one. Yeah, I, I lost it a while ago cuz we rearranged the living room during lockdown. Ah, as, the as old you do. <laughs> Yeah, the old uh, lost knitting project. <laughs> and the baking oh. is a dog friendly cake recipe on the Battersea Dog Home website. <gasps> it's my parents' dog's first birthday, and I'm that sort of person, so I've made him a cake. Did he like the cake? He's getting it tomorrow. I'm very excited oh. just to see him eating it because he's going to go absolutely <laughs> mental on it. <laughs> Was it like the kind of cake that they used to make on Blue Peter? I might be giving away my age. But every single year when it was a dog's birthday, they would make this cake out of dog meat <laughs> and then cover it in um, various different coloured icings as a kind of thing. This is what you can make, make for your pet. I was a child growing up in the 1980s. I'm not sure what your vintage is. But, I, um, there was we have also seen Blue Peter. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen similar things. Yeah. Did they have the dog meat cake on that? <laughs> I don't remember that. I... No, I, th I, th I think they'd moved on to this kind of cake by the time I was watching it. This is, um, it's got things like grated carrot and banana and no raising agents because those are bad for dogs. Oh. And then it's iced in mashed potato. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and they said to decorate it with dog treats. But Dougal likes to steal blackberries from the brambles in my parents' garden, so I've decorated it with berries instead. That's very cute. Please put pictures of Dougal on the Twitter. Well, I'm I'm hoping I'm going to be able to record it when he gets given the cake, so we'll see. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, Doctor Buttery, do you have any uh things that your personal things that you're working on at the moment? Anything that you've made recently? Well, every now and again, I go down little rabbit holes. I'm sure you um identify with that. Uh, usually kitchen related. Um. Two things, you might not even count one of them, but go for the one that you'll definitely count. And that is, I've really got um, a little bit obsessed with 
griddle cakes. Cakes that aren't baked in ovens, but baked on hot stones or hot plates. Uh, ah. So things like crumpets and muffins, English muffins. Uh, and some of them are forgotten kinds, the oat cakes that people don't really um, cook anymore. And nobody really knows how to make anymore because usually they were, they were made by um, working class women who passed down the skills to their daughters. No one ever wrote it down because no one had to write it down. And you're certainly not going to find the recipe, you know, in the British Museum or something because people weren't capturing that kind of information. So I've, I've got currently obsessed with trying to recreate um, some kind of forgotten or lesser known griddle cakes. Have you been successful? Well, um, well, so I've been on good ground with crumpets and English muffins because there's recipes for those that, uh, that I always have to tweak. I always have to kind of take three or four recipes and see, you know, the devil's in the detail and different people's methods, um, you know, communicate better with you perhaps than other people. So I've worked out my own recipes and I've got them working. So that was fine. But then when it gets to the things where you're not sure how they were made and then you're not really sure what they're supposed to look like, and you're not really sure <laughs> what you're supposed to eat with them or put on them. You just sit down and go, well, it's quite nice. I don't know if I've got close to it. But, I mean, it's just a good way to, for me just to play around in, in the kitchen. And then, and then sometimes you make something and you go, oh, this is amazing. Why have we forgotten how to make this? Everyone should be making this thing. Um and we might talk about that in a little bit because there's certainly some examples of, of um, uh, puddings and things, which we'll be talking about later, uh, where, where I've just had these absolute kind of eureka moments. I've not had that with any of the griddle breads yet. They've mainly been like sort of salty dough, play dough. <laughs> so not a success. Oh, it sounds educational. Anyway. Some of them, some of them are fab. You, you kind of make your batter and you let it go sour like a sourdough. And then you've just got to throw it onto the hot plate at a distance. So you oh. get kind of a, a big, long oval shape. So I've been trying to do that. It turns out it's quite hard to do. I end that up wearing sounds... more batter than I'm cooking. But there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just the sign of a committed chef, surely. Well, committed is one word you could use. <laughs> I could think of a few other ones. <laughs> Someone with too much time on their hands, obviously. <laughs> oh, I haven't, um, I haven't been quite that dedicated in my food exploring, I think. But I did. I made, I made a seed cake um, mm. and it was nice. Um, Good. Not enough people are eating seed cakes these days. I know they're great. It's... They're poo-pooed as boring, dry, old-fashioned, and a, a, a good example of bad British cooking. And they couldn't be more wrong. Those naysayers. <laughs> yeah, seed cake haters. You yeah. suck. Yeah, exactly. Um... <laughs> yeah. No, that's so good. I love. I mean, I know caraway is not a flavor for everyone, but I love it. And I like that it's not a super sweet cake. It's just like a nice, a nice afternoon bit. Um, 
Indeed. Yeah. And as I get as I get older, I don't know if you uh, you agree with this, but I want things less sweet. I don't want things with loads of icing on it. I just want something well made. You don't need bells and whistles if it's been well made. Yeah, I've definitely been having that. Like I will I will walk past somewhere selling cupcakes and just like that that is not food. <laughs> <laughs> if it's more icing than cake, it's it's kind of I don't know. Is it still a cake? <laughs> well I indeed. Mean, what is, is a it... cake is a whole question. Remember when we did um the the varying not cake cakes of Manchester? Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm living in Manchester these days. Um, what what was the problem? Sorry um, to go back to previous episodes, but I'm interested. Oh no, it's fine. No, we did <laughs> one of the lo- <laughs> one of the early local larders we did because I'm in uh, Bury. Oh, okay. Oh, almost neighbours. <laughs> was on things like goosley cakes, chorley cakes, um, mm-hmm. blackburn cakes. These things that are not cakes by the modern definition, but are delicious, and people should eat them. Yes. Like, I, I do make goosner cakes every spring because the caraway just feels very springy to me. Mm-hmm. And the one time I bought goosner cakes, they were really dry. They're, are the goosner cakes basically like a... Um, are those cakes basically like a shortbread? Am I remembering right? It's not quite the same proportions that you tend to get with shortbread. It's not the three-to-one ratio. But it's, it's a biscuity thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. with a lot of caraway seeds in. Or sometimes yeah. fennel, sometimes fennel seeds. Hmm. Mary Queen of Scots obviously loved shortbread because she was always on message, um, and her favourite thing to put in uh, shortbread was caraway seeds. So, you know, you got the say you got queenly tastes. Can't go wrong. Um. Yeah. So that's about it with the baking. Um. I, yeah, haven't done a lot recently because um, I was on holiday last week. I cycled to Paris. It was lovely. Um, I ate a lot of cheese. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I I didn't really get any stuff. I, I took my knitting with me, but um, it turns out that when you are cycling for a lot of the day, your hands are a little bit achy. Um, so I've I've not done a lot, but I've got a couple of things I need to make. I've got um, uh, I need to make a a veil and some like headdress stuff for my reenactment kit. So I will I will get on that. I've got some linen scraps that I can do that with. Um, yeah. So uh, okay, we um we normally talk about a main topic. Um, so I, I don't know if you have one of those or if you just wanted to sort of talk about little interesting facts and things. Well, we talked about doing puddings, so that's what I've gone with. Mm. Okay. Um, Brilliant. But I mean, just chuck me stuff. I don't, I'm not, um, I don't mind if I don't know. <laughs> I'm very happy to say I don't know some things. So chuck me any questions. I won't be embarrassed <laughs> or flummoxed. Um, Brilliant. That's teacher. probably a, like... I'm used to a teacher, so I used to be a teacher, so I'm, I'm used to kind of saying, yeah. I don't know, but I'll find out, you know. Um, That's basically yeah. the entire process I mean, of this that... podcast, is like us going, I wonder what this thing me- means. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe we'll do that on another podcast. 
yeah that is it is the best way to approach working with kids i have found is to just be like let's find out together yes it's a good way of covering up your own ineptitudes and making yeah. it into a positive learning experience <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> So yeah, so what um what aspect of puddings did you want to talk about? Well, it's quite a big term, isn't it, pudding? An umbrella term. It means a lot of things. If you sit down and think about it. Puddings. So what what, what do you think when you think of a pudding? What's immediate comes it pops into your brain? Immediate thought sticky toffee. Uh-huh. Yeah, I for me I think it's any dessert. Because it's always like, what do you want for pudding? Sure, right, okay. So yes, it means basically dessert, doesn't it? At least in Britain, um, and maybe Ireland as well. Um, certainly does not mean that anywhere else. I mean, I used to live in America, and they were very confused when I kept dropping this word pudding in all the time. <laughs> because in America, it's basically um, a whipped sort of creamy banana dessert, banana pudding. Oh, like a custard. Yeah, it's like a, it's a bit like a cross between, I would say, custard and angel delight. It's not a bad thing, but that's the only pudding they know. <laughs> and when you sit down and try to explain it to them, because you've got pudding, which is dessert, you've got puddings, which are like sticky toffee pudding, but then you've got steamed puddings or boiled puddings. Then you've got black pudding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and you got Yorkshire pudding, which is different to, to all of them again. And very quickly, when somebody sits and asks you, what is a pudding? You kind of go a bit cross-eyed because you're like, oh, well, I thought I knew what a pudding was. And now you've made me think about it. And there seems to be about 50 different definitions. <laughs> I'm questioning pudding, that right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a really strange one. So it, it was one of the first so I've time to go. I mean, I, I was into the food history for a while. Um, this is back when I was uh, a scientist, uh, and I was really getting into the history in my spare time. I'd invite people over, uh, and I would give them things like, I don't know, jam roly poly, which no one's ever eaten over there, <laughs> and they really liked it, but they were completely baffled. They really were. So I kind of went on a mission, and I love pudding, all puddings in all in all forms. Um, so I really kind of, it was the first time I really immersed myself, I guess, in a subject. So in my kind of early days of doing my own, my own research. You immersed yourself in puddings. I did. I did. That sounds nice. It sounds pleasant, yeah. Well, it's not bad. I mean, I love them. I mean, fast forwarding a few years ahead for me, back when I was uh, back in Manchester, I used to do a little um, like a pop-up restaurant in my own house. I'd stick all my furniture up on the first floor. I can't believe I did it now, looking back. I brought in uh, restaurant furniture. And one of the things that I used to do was a, a pud club where it was just seven, a seven-course meal of just puddings. So I'm very invested in puddings. I can't emphasise it enough. <laughs> oh, that sounds incredible. An entire pudding meal. Like, did you start with savoury puddings and move on to sweet, or was it more of a hodgepodge? No, it was just all sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, puddings, um, you know, that they're they're fairly plain. 
which is a word that has negative connotations, I think. You know, um, people talk about British cooking being uh, plain but good. You know, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Like, you know, that's not complicated. It's not a hundred different ingredients in there. There's just three or four ingredients in there. But the devil's in the detail and you have to know what you're doing to pull it off well. So plain cooking isn't necessarily bad cooking, but plain cooking does mean you can put a lot of it away. You can go back for thirds, fourths, or in, or in that case, sevenths. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I mean, I just love them. I just think they're an important part of British um, uh, cultural history, and it's so British. Nowhere else really does it. It's a, it's a unique thing. I would say a pudding is more British than roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Oh, there's a pudding in that. <laughs> <laughs> I meant like a steam pudding, though, or a, or, a, or a plum pudding. You know, those kind of real traditional ones. Yeah, there's something about them. It's like stodgy, but in a good way. Like a really good oh, Yes, thing. stodgy in a good way. There's, there's yeah. bad stodge, sure, but there is good stodge. Sticks to your oh, ribs, yeah. as we say in Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so I kind of went down a, a big rabbit hole of, well, what, what is a pudding? How can it mean all of these different things? Uh, and yet somehow be um, distinct until you're questioned about it too much. Hopefully I'm going to give you a decent enough <laughs> uh, answer or an approximation to, to an answer. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing to kind of mention is... You know, can, can we get an origin story? Was there a first pudding? <laughs> um, well, from the point of view of a word, it doesn't appear until maybe the mid-16th uh, century. That is so, a lot later than I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the word, though. I mean, we've, we've just not been that far out of Middle English at this point. So it's maybe not too much of a surprise that the word isn't that old. Puddings... However, uh, actually, let me rewind a bit. The word pudding, where does it come from? It's, people aren't sure. The best guess, and I, and I reckon this is probably about right, it comes from the French boudon, meaning a poached sausage. Boudonnoir is basically black pudding, for example. Ah, okay. That's kind of not where I expected, but it makes sense. Hmm. You know, it, it, you know it, it looks a bit like a very different word, but when you say it in a kind of French accent, which I'm not very good at, boudin <laughs> doesn't sound too much different to pudding. You can see how that could maybe have, have happened. And that word boudin comes from batellus, which is Latin for sausage. All right. Wow, so, so that's a much older lineage. Yeah, yeah. So um, there are... Pre so it, so it's a thing cooked in, in an intestine. That's what a sausage is, essentially. <laughs> Sometimes they're um, poached and then fried, like in Germany, for example. Sometimes they're just fried, like a regular old sausage here. But then you've got the, your black puddings and, and white puddings um, in there too. And you could probably put um, haggis in there, into that category as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because that's within, a, it's boiled in a... Like in yeah, it's uh, it's not the same as the uh, intestines, the small intestines which are used for for sausages, but it's some bit of the 
Okay. Tracked. <laughs> some <laughs> kind of mixture <laughs> being yeah. put into some kind of containing thing. Well, I, well, you've kind of hit the nail on the head, really. So um, putting some kind of stuffing, uh, some kind of mixture into a container ends up becoming a byword for, or pudding becomes a byword for, for, for that process. So originally what you've got is a very seasonal opportunistic food because the only time you're going to get some intestines is when you slaughter an animal. They're not just intestines knocking around, although these days you can just go to your butcher and order some. You know, if you want to make your own sausages, it's fine. But that wasn't possible. So they're very seasonal, fairly rare. So that means if they're rare, basically people, you know, it's a highly striated system in Britain, very, you know, we still go by class now as then. So the intestines went straight to the, the lord, to the king, to the whoever, to make a nice pudding. Presumably that's why we get a French word for it. Indeed, yes. It's interesting because I don't normally think of puddings in the technical sense as an upper class kind of food. No, no, they become um, a fairly democratic food, don't they, where everybody eats them. But mm-hmm. in, their, um, in their origins in Britain, it seems to be that it's just the, you know, your, your higher echelons. There's, um, there's a, a book called The Form of Curry, which was written in around 1380. And it's the first cookery book written in the English language. It's Middle English. And it was um, Richard II's, not a bit of an obscure king, but it, it was written by his master cooks. And there are some things that are definitely puddings in there, even though they're not necessarily, necessarily called puddings. Um, really, it's a stuffing, I suppose, because w- what you also see in old cookery books, right up to the 17th century, you'd get something, for an example, I can think of... Um, Robert May, 1660, wrote a, bit, a book called The Accomplished Cook. And he has all his recipes for a rabbit with a pudding in its belly or a carp with a pudding in its belly. And basically what they would do is, you know, they'd gut the animal, put, the, what, put what would normally go into the intestine into the stomach cavity, sew it up and poach it. Not too like different a, like to a, a turkey. Yeah, like a like a roast turkey, except they're poaching it, not not roasting it. So it becomes a byword, like you said, for kind of anything, kind of shoved in anything else. <laughs> so um, dumplings, stuffings, sausages—they all kind of have this kind of murky, belong to this murky world of this kind of pudding, stroke, stuffing, stroke sausage world. <laughs> So all those all those things are kind of connected under the the pudding umbrella. Yeah, um, and there's there's and they familiar... kind of still are. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so black pudding, white pudding. Um, people down in um, the southwest of England have hogs pudding, which is kind of mm-hmm. similar to a white pudding. There's one called a fruit pudding in in Scotland, which is basically a white pudding but with some dried fruit in it. Okay. So, there's, so they're still knock around, but things that we think of as traditional p- puddings like um, rice pudding 
and bread pudding or bread and butter pudding, they go right back to the days of cooking in intestines. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I mean, you have to think about the way food was eaten back in these days. It was French service where basically you get a whole buffet table of food <laughs> brought to your table or it's there waiting for you as you go in and everything's there. You can have sweet things with savoury things. It's not distinct courses. So um, to have something slightly sweet, like a rice pudding with some meat, wasn't a weird thing. Sugar wasn't dominant because it was so um, expensive. It was used as a spice. So the rice puddings, you know, it's not going to be as sweet as a rice pudding now, but there will have been sugar in it and spices, of course. But yeah, rice pudding goes right back to these days of intestines. And I've made one in an intestine. <laughs> oh, how was it? It was one of the best rice puddings I've ever eaten. Really? Yeah, it was one. fantastic. Um, it was from a book called, oh, what was it called? Um, the Well-Kept Kitchen by Gervais Markham. Oh, and yeah. And he was, yeah, seven, he was a 17th century. Was he 17? Yeah, 17th century. I think first half yeah. of yeah I was I was once given a um like excerpt of some of his writing in a little book and mm. what I remember most from it is there was a recipe for how to roast a pound of butter curiously <laughs> I don't remember that one <laughs> um yeah wow. it, it was literally just like roasting some butter I'm not quite sure why um but hang on, I'm going to need to ask some supplementary questions. It's okay if you don't remember. But you, um, so roasting back then is on a spit. So you can't put a block of butter on a spit and then turn it around because it'll just fall off. Yeah, so, I think it So what's going on there? I can't remember exactly what was going on. Um, I don't have the book with me at the moment, but that was definitely the title of the Well, let, I need to write this down and check it out. Because you get, you get fried, like deep fried butter where they batter it. Oh, yeah, you do, don't you? Put some sort of container on it? Uh, Maybe. Because what they would certainly do is um, when they were roasting meat, they would ladle um, a mixture of egg yolks and flour and saffron and things like that and pour it over it and keep on pouring it over. So you got this like kind of crispy coating. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's what they were doing. They were kind of dipping it in that, the kind of stuff that they usually coat their meat in dipped it in beforehand and then got it cooking hmm okay well from, from looking at other just a quick little search for other like roasted butter recipes it seems to be some kind of like um like basting it and basically breading it oh okay <laughs> um i mean it can't be bad yeah. can it i mean so it is like deep frying butter then i i Kind of, I don't a know. Butter croquette <laughs> sounds like <laughs> more on the butter next yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to report back on roasted butter. Yeah, I've written it down <laughs> in my little notebook and I'll okay. check that out. Yes, please do. <laughs> oh, uh... So that was rabbit hole one. We've just gone down, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> when was that? So, <laughs> so when do we start getting the more sort of sweeter puddings? Well, I mean, it, we're talking uh, 18th, 19th century, I would say. The, 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 
this has to be um kind of if you track the evolution of the pudding what people were really waiting for was the invention of the pudding cloth in the 17th century first half of the 17th century um where you basically get a big square of cheesecloth or muslin or whatever um wet it just so it's damp shake a load of flour over it and then pop in your mixture whatever it may be you can tie a knot in it gather it up tie a knot in it pop it in your pot <laughs> um and boil it over several hours like you know those charles dickens-esque cannonball christmas puddings that you you see you know that we all think of as a a proper traditional victorian christmas pud yeah you always see them in the like satirical cartoons and things like perfectly round and yes <laughs> exactly yeah there's that really good satirical cartoon with um is it napoleon and what's his face the younger oh yes just... it's Pitt the younger we use Pitt that the younger. In the, uh, last one i think or the They're one carving before. up the world out in the world's yeah made up, it's a big pudding mm. um, yeah that's a great image that and the pudding looks so um plump and delicious as well i think it's a crookshanks it um cartoon that wasn't he oh, yeah. did the best ones Oh, Crookshanks. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, that, so suddenly what you had was a reusable cloth that everybody could use. You know, you didn't have to wait for, to get hold of some fresh intestines. Well, so suddenly, yeah, so suddenly everybody can make pudding, potentially. And of course, uh, I, mean, I guess it's maybe one of the reasons why we don't eat them so much at home. There was always a pot of water on. Because the fire was always on, it never went out in any kind of home, large or small. So if you've got the fire on, you know, heating up water for your washing, for washing up your clothes, as well as your food and your drinks, you may as well, you know, pop a pop a pudding there. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it takes five hours to cook, because well, the fire's on, it's fine. In fact, it's good home economics, if anything else. I like that, pop a pudding in. Putting in. And that's what people did. You know, people had cauldrons. You know, mo most families would have a cauldron. It's, you know, fairly standard. Um, and people kind of think of, oh, witches crowded round a, a, a cauldron with a big brew, a casserole or whatever in it, maybe a Hansel and Gretel in there. But that's not what people were using them. That's not how they were used. You know, various things would be, things would be popped in there. So it might be a bit of... Um, Bacon wrapped in a cloth, pop at the bottom of the pot maybe because that takes a few hours to cook. Um, you might pop your um, your peas, you know, your yellow split peas, pop that in into a bag or your cloth, and then you've got peas pudding essentially. If you've ever had peas pudding with with ham, and they would put jars in, and you know they'd have all these different things kind of clattering around or bobbing around in in the in their cauldron. So. Puddings just made perfect sense. You know, it's an excellent way of cooking things. If you've got a great big pot of water sat there, otherwise doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do notice that some of the steamed pudding recipes that mm. I've used, they sometimes say boil for like two hours or more. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh, that seems an awful long time. But yeah, if you've got it going anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I made a, a, a Christmas pudding. Uh, I got it from a friend, um, another historian called Sam Bilton. She's very good. Uh, her great aunt's recipe. I, mean, I reduced the quantities, but their 
her Christmas pudding was a 15-hour boil. What? Yeah, they were huge. I mean, literally like a cannonball. You know, absolutely massive. I did one and it's... I did um. I made a tiny one, a sixth of the size, which still took three hours, and it was still massive. Wow. It was really good, though. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I, I did um, my... I also have a uh, inherited family pudding recipe, mm-hmm. <laughs> which includes a whole bottle of brown ale. Um, mm. <laughs> it's my great-grandma. Excellent. And um, yeah, so I I made again a sort of quarter scale one or sort of, I think it might have even been smaller. Um, But I think my mistake was I forgot to keep feeding it. And because we ended up not getting to do Christmas, we were like, oh, we'll we'll do it later because puddings keep, right? Um, Uh (laughs) Except it didn't because I didn't put enough alcohol on it. So it was a very moldy pudding. Rookie error. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've all, we've all been there. <laughs> um, but these, but, but at this point, they're um, they're they're not kind of sponge steam puddingy. They're fairly hmm, still dumplingy. So suet is the you know when it comes to folk like you and I, I you know working class, you know middle class people, a little bit of sugar. Padded out with flour or breadcrumbs, and then if depending if you can afford it, you know spices, dried fruit. Uh, there might be butter in there, but most likely suet. Okay. Um, and just for anyone that might not have used suet, um, mm. it it is animal fat, or you can get vegetable suet as well. But that's that's what suet is. Yeah, yes, it's, it's the, the fat, fat from around the kidneys. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, and it's very flaky. And doesn't taste of anything, which sounds, you know, silly, but, you know, you, you don't want anything to kind of mask the other flavours going on in there. So it enriches it without being uh, over the top like butter can be a little bit sometimes, especially when you've roasted it. <laughs> yeah, it's good for like a, a steak and kidney type pudding, I think, where you, you, it, it is just a container rather than an additional flavour, like a, like a short crust pie case would be. Mm. I'm a big fan of suet pastry, and it's very easy to make. Okay, I've never made it, but I yeah, it's definitely got a certain. Um, I don't know. It's just really squishy. Yeah, it is. It's you know. Well, I mean, these older recipes don't use raising agents, so they can be really stodgy. Whereas, you know. As soon as we got chemical raising agents like bicarb or whatever, you know, people started using those. And suddenly you got these kind of nice, light, delicious, I think, exquisite puddings, if that's not too strong a word. (laughs) I don't think so at all. But these are kind of, you know, your spotted dicks, jam roly poly. Um, There were savoury ones too, often with bacon. Um, Jam roly poly used to be cooked in a a shirt sleeve, an old shirt sleeve, quite often. And it used to be called um, Dead Man's Arm, <laughs> which I quite like. That's not the most appetising thing. But one thing that did, which they did, which was really good, is they used to make them with bacon. So they'd roll out their square of pastry, lay down bacon, sometimes other things too, mushrooms or whatever. 
uh, roll it up, steam it in the shirt sleeve, take it out. They'd eat it, but they'd make much more than was required for the meal because the day after, or the few days after, they'd slice it up and fry it. Oh, wow. And a fried suet pudding <laughs> is a wonderful thing. I'm going to have to try this. It's um, fried Christmas pudding in particular. Oh, that sounds like exactly what you need if you've got a long sort of 12-hour day ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, it's really good with bacon. Fry the bacon. Then fry the pudding in the bacon fat. Breakfast of champions. <laughs> so many things are better fried in bacon fat. Like I, when I make Welsh cakes, I like to do them with bacon just to fry them in the bacon fat. I don't even oh. like bacon much, but it makes do the Welsh know, cakes nicer. I've never made a Welsh cake, you know. Actually, I did once and it was a disaster and I haven't returned. Tragic. Mm. That, that is tragic. They're, they're delicious. And the ones that you buy on the train when you're going to Wales are just not the same. Sure. So, do you have a favourite pudding? Mm. Probably. It probably would be jam roly poly, you know. The simplest ones are the best. It's, it's getting the jam right that's important. You don't want, in my humblest of opinions, you don't want. Something like strawberry jam, which I think is too sweet. You want something like blackcurrant jam, you know, which is still really quite tart. You know, even if it's got all that sugar in. And I think that's the important thing. Attention to detail, really. Now, I always I steam it. I don't bake it because you can bake some of these, you know, steam puddings. But I always steam them. I think it's a better texture. And uh, make, try and make your own custard with egg yolks and stuff. You know, you sit down, and it's just a very simple, it's an example of simple, plain British cooking, which can't be bettered. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I remember cooking a, a meal for a load of undergraduates that came over from America. <laughs> I can't even remember how I ended up doing it, to be honest, but anyway, I did. It was a all British food. The dessert was um, jam roly-poly, which they'd not heard of, Gooseberry jam. No one's heard of a gooseberry. <laughs> so they're really out of the comfort zones, these students, and they, they absolutely loved it. So, you know, yeah. stodgy food can be, can be good. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so in the, in the, 17, um, so in the 18th and 19th centuries, that's kind of when you get into your heyday of puddings. You know, where... Um, everyone's got um, a pudding cloth or a pudding basin. They were invented towards um, the end of the um, 17th century. Uh, so then you can get molds as well. So that, you know, obviously there's a the pudding basin mold that we're all familiar with, but you know, the more fancy ones that are in shapes of castles and things like that. Um, oh, uh, wow, you can do that with a pudding. Oh, yeah, so anything that's a, uh, that you might think of as a, being a, a jelly mold... Jelly moulds really were kind of informed by pudding moulds. And then suddenly you get um, jelly and flummery, which is kind of a bit of a... It's like, it's like a jelly, but it's made with um, almond milk and, and things like that. It's, it's like a blancmange, I suppose. Mm. Um, now, which used to be set in bags, which kind of looked very nice. They would start, they start using the pudding moulds for them. And then all of a sudden... A blancmange is a pudding. A jelly is now a pudding. Because <laughs> ah. you're making it in the pudding mould. 
<laughs> so you can see that, you know, we've just integrated a load of other things under this great big um, umbrella of pudding. And all the time, people are still making black puddings by boiling them in, in water. So you can see how the word pudding is just collecting all these different kinds of food. Yeah. Uh, ice creams were made in molds too. They became a pudding. I became <laughs> called a pudding. You know, we still didn't have the pudding course at this point, but yeah. So for people who are unaware, especially because we have a lot of international listeners, could you explain what a pudding basin is? Oh, a pudding basin is. I mean, you could. It's basically a bowl, usually made out of um, porcelain or earthenware. Um, you can get uh, tin ones, or metal ones, should I say, and plastic ones. And I actually use plastic ones these days if I'm just doing a regular, a regular one. Um, and you, just, you, you, you butter the inside of it generously. If it's a sweet pudding, maybe sh shake some sugar onto that butter, because then you get a nice kind of t toffee coating when you turn it out. And you fill it with your mixture. Um, and then the process essentially is you don't need any fancy equipment. I mean, you can just do this in a mixing bowl. You know, you don't need anything fancy. Um, pop um, some foil over the top. Make a little pleat because puddings can expand sometimes. You don't want it to pop. Tie it with some string. Pop it in, a, uh, in some hot water on top of a, a saucer because you don't want it to actually touch the bottom of the water because it'll catch and burn. So it just sits on top of a saucer and then just... Keep it, you know, gently bubbling away for the cooking time. Anybody can make one. It's, they're very forgiving. Okay. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, if people have um, never made a pudding, a steamed pudding, you know, I'd go. I strongly suggest you go out and make one. You know, a, a, a treacle sponge pudding. Are you, are you kind? Of, are you fans of um, those kind of puddings? I, I oh yes. yeah. <laughs> because you could bake, because it's just cake batter essentially, isn't it? In a in a sponge yeah, pudding. but it's moister um, when you steam it. It's comp It's very different. It's, it's moister. It's it's got a closer texture. Which again, I suppose you could use the word stodgy, but I don't think it's the right word. We we don't have the word to describe it. Um, I just think it's an amazing thing. When I did my pud clubs, because I'd get you know maybe sixteen people. I kind of didn't do more than that because my house wasn't big enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's great because you can make, you know, two-litre-sized steam puddings. So it was like cartoon, great big puddings. And the great big ones, which you would never normally have the chance to make, the texture of those were particularly good. Particularly good. Um, really? Of course, I mean, making a great big two-litre pudding today, you know, we rarely cook for those number of people. And, you know, especially with fuel prices as they are now, do you want to be, you know, simmering something for four hours mm. when you could just have a fried egg? <laughs> that takes two seconds. Um, I mean, maybe we'll talk about that later, but I think, you know, certain types of pudding anyway are, are, are kind of under risk of dying out. Yeah, I have oh. come across people making like steaming puddings in slow cookers. Mmm, I've never done that. Use a little bit less is just putting sort of a layer of water in the bottom, stick yeah. it on high, and leave it in there for six hours. Yeah, no, it's that's something good. I haven't been brave enough to try yet. No, I've not tried that. I have made them in a microwave. 
Okay, how does that work out? Shock horror. Um, <laughs> the only work if it's quite a big one. You can't make little individual ones. But um, it was quite a while ago now. I'm sure if you Googled, you know, some times and, and temperatures, kilowatts or whatever it is, it's measured in with microwaves. <laughs> um, yeah, just make one as normal. Covering, don't cover it in foil because you'll blow up the microwave. Cover it in some cling film. Uh, pop, pop it on. I don't know what it is. It was like three minutes it took or four minutes. I mean, not as nice as a that's one that's cooked for hours and hours and hours, but it's better than no pudding. Definitely better than having no pudding at all. So, you know, I would certainly recommend it. It's almost like a muffin. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I mean, I should be, being a chef, I'm supposed to be against things like microwaves, but, you know, sometimes they serve a good purpose. So I guess sort of as, as we approach the, the present day mm. of puddings mm-hmm. um why do you think they sort of fell out of favor in more recent times well they haven't they just had to um, evolve further um mm-hmm. you know as soon as you get into the what the mid 18th century the um you get um ranges oven ranges being installed into kitchens so it's not just an open fire with bit roasty things and you know all these things that are hanging, hang over, you have to pull in and out. Suddenly you've got an enclosed space that you can put things in. So puddings then end up going in the oven. So then you get baked ones. So um, bread pudding and rice pudding, you know, which up until now in our story were cooked in intestines, they're suddenly now cooked in the oven. Oh, I love a bread pudding. And there's loads of brilliant um, baked puddings, you know, sticky toffee pudding. How old do you reckon sticky toffee pudding is? Give us, give uh, us a guess to the decade. I'm going to guess uh, 1760s. Because mm. there's quite a lot of sugar in that. There is. I am having a poker face, the equivalent of a poker face on a podcast. Any more suggestions? Um, I'm second guessing it now because I feel, feel like it being one of the most like famous British foods, it should be mm-hmm. like old, but maybe it's not. Um, 1830s. <laughs> 1950s. No wow. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's probably Irish. All right. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, it was one of those things where uh, it was just after the war. Um, rationing was being lifted. It hadn't been completely lifted. It was invented in, in Scotland. In Scotland, in Ireland. I can't remember the name of the family now. Anyway, they started making it over in England and nobody would eat it because it was just too opulent. All those eggs, all the butter and the cream and the, and the sugar, all the stuff that people hadn't been allowed to eat. They're like, no, this is too much. We can't handle. <laughs> can't handle the pudding. Can't handle it. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, it was 1950s. I was surprised too. I, I, you know, I, I assumed it was, you know, in Mrs. Beaton's book of household management or something. But there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, so stick it off pudding, Eve's pudding. That's a good one, isn't it? Where it's um, stewed apples with like a cake covering. That's another good one. Um, 
I mean, pineapple upside down cake is, I think of as a pudding, even though we say cake. So there's some good ones, and we still eat things like that, where, yes, the, you know, the, the oven's turned up higher than, you know, a, your simmering plate or whatever, but, you know, it's cooked in 25 minutes or maybe even less. So puddings just had to move with the times and go into ovens along with the cakes. You know, things like, you know, obviously people have been making fruit cakes and things like that for, for ages, um, seed cakes for ages. So, you know, you get blur, then you suddenly get blurring of lines then between, well, what's a pudding, what's a cake? Because they're all basically cakey now. So you can see why it's really confusing <laughs> to somebody who's not British and you try and explain what a pudding is. Yeah, so I guess when you kind of, you grow up calling all these very different things puddings, you just kind of accept that it's the same word? Yeah, you just don't question it, do you? I'm definitely questioning it now. Questioning everything. <laughs> <laughs> My whole pudding existence has been a lie. Oh, you know what, but I just remembered just another... I've just remembered another pudding when you say what's my favourite pudding. Oh. I can't believe what I didn't say was, so I'm going to have to make it my second favourite now, is um, a Sussex Pond pudding. Oh, yes. I've never had the chance to actually try one, but I, I am a Sussex person. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a dream. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's the one that normally has a whole lemon inside. That's right, yeah. So you have your pudding basin and you line it with pastry rather than filling it with mixture. Yeah. And you whip up loads of butter and sugar, equal amounts. Yeah. Put, stab some holes in your lemon, pop it in and fill in all the gaps with the butter and sugar. It's obviously <laughs> a health, healthy one. <laughs> pop a lid on, a, a pastry lid on, cover it up, steam it like... I said before, you have to steam it for something like six hours or something stupid like that. Because the the lemon just turns into lemon curd. It mingles oh, wow. with the butter and the sugar. It's completely edible. You don't know it's that there's pith and seeds and, and rind in there. It's just all beautifully tender. And of course, when you cut into it, it all pours out and makes oh. the pond. I've seen some other recipes where it's just a mixture of butter and sugar. But ooh, that sounds, you want, I think you've got to have the lemon in there. So that's yeah. a really good. That's a really good one. And then there's the savoury ones. You know, you're steak and kidney puddings. You know. Yeah, these are great. Yeah, I'll, oh. I'll admit I tend to get those rather than fish when I go to the chippy because the fish is always way too big. Mm. So get steak and kidney instead. Yeah, I mean, again, they're great to make. I mean, one of the times I had a, a eureka moment cooking all these. Uh, recipes was the first time I did a, a steak, kidney, and oyster pudding. Because I was a bit squeamish about shellfish growing up. Being from a Yorkshire family, we didn't really eat that much fish. It was always kind of viewed with a little bit of suspicion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had to really kind of, um, you know, get into the mindset of eating all this shellfish that I hadn't eaten it. And oh my goodness, it's just one of the most delicious things. And you can't get one for love nor money, you know. I wonder if there's anywhere in the UK that sells a steak and steak kidney and oyster pudding. Yeah, I guess we don't really. I mean, we did. I think was it our, was our first episode on oysters actually. It was yeah, and I yeah. discussed with the concept of smoked oysters. Oh, okay. Which, which I maintain are delicious and great in quiche. Hmm. 
Yeah, cook, cooked oysters are really nice, aren't they? You know, if people are a bit squeamish about knocking back a raw one, which is understandable, delicious as it may be, a good place to start is, is with a cooked oyster. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But yeah, as you say, I don't, I never see that in things, although it used to be popular. Mm. And that's a, that is one of those kind of uh, Victorian recipes. I think the first time it appears in, in a book is, um, is Mrs. Beaton's. What's that, 1860s? 1870s, something like that. I'm not very good at precise dates. As a historian, <laughs> I'm not very good. At, I can get the right decade. I'm not, I'm not very good at remembering the exact year. People get annoyed with me, but, you know, it's why we invented writing, so you don't have to remember these things. That's what I say to them. <laughs> There's a lot of dates to remember. You can't be expected to remember them all. Well, they keep inventing <laughs> new years. New years? Yeah, they just keep coming. <laughs> they keep coming and they don't stop coming. Well, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, coming from the sort of archaeological background, plus or minus 10 years is good enough, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, plus or minus 200, you, you're doing pretty <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, okay, so that that is... A lot of pudding knowledge. It's a, um, a lot of pudding. Um, yeah, but, but you know, it eventually became a real democratic food because everyone could afford. I mean, for poorer families, it would be suet and flour mainly, flavoured with whatever else you could get to make a spotted dick, for example, or, or, or treacle. You know, they're really good, a proper treacle pudding. So everybody ate it. And then, just to finish off our, I guess, tale, why is dessert pudding? I guess that's the only but, gap in our in our little evolution, and that's because um, we changed in the Victorian era from um, French service, which I, was, I described before, where everything's brought to you. You just have two courses, or maybe three, where loads of stuffs there. They take them off, then they put on the second course with loads of stuff. They changed from that to Russian service, service à la Russe, which is the separate courses that we have now. So okay. suddenly you couldn't mix whatever you wanted. You, everything came out in, in courses. At first they didn't know really what to do. It was like 20 courses because people were used <laughs> to having so much choice. But um, they'd end up being a pudding course or maybe pudding and beef course. And people really liked um, roast beef and pudding together. <laughs> but as they got sweeter, um, sweet things have always been eaten at the end. But usually it was confectionery, you know, like sugar plums and, and things like that. But as um, puddings got sweeter, they moved back towards the end. And for many families, pudding was the only sweet thing they could afford to make, even though there might not be that much sugar in it, say a treacle pudding. So suddenly everyone was having pudding at the end of the meal. So that's why it's become also another word for dessert. Because for most families... The pudding is how they ended their meal. Okay, so just uh, so many people were eating pudding for dessert that it just became the word for dessert. Yeah, yeah. Because when I think about pudding, I don't really think about fancy desserts, do you? No. Yeah. It's, it's sort of grabbing something from the shops for a pound. You know, I don't know what it is, but when you think pudding, you don't think, oh, it's some fancy Michelin starred. Mm -hmm nonsense it sort of brings to mind like really comforting like yeah uh, yeah but yeah try and get that across 
to people who have never had pudding. You know, it's a really hard thing to explain. It's a feeling. <laughs> pudding is a state <laughs> of mind. It is. <laughs> oh, I hope. I hope there's. Put that on the shirt. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of people who are inspired to go out and make puddings after hearing you. Oh, I hope people do. There's, you know, there's loads of great uh, pudding recipes, you know. Mm -hmm. And because they're very forgiving, you can, if they're steam ones, you know, you can overdo them by half an hour, you know, just to be sure they're cooked and they'll be fine because they're all hermetically sealed. If you did that in an oven, cook something for half an hour too long, you, you know, a crisp comes out, doesn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. it's all, you know, oh, it's something burnt. Whereas with a pudding, well, it's fine. Do you have any pudding recipes on your blog? Oh, yeah, I've got loads, loads of them on my blog. Yeah, um, if you go to the blog, BritishFoodHistory.com, and just go to the little search engine, type pudding, loads of puddings come up. Fantastic. Okay, we'll link to that on our Twitter as well when the episode uh, yeah. goes out. Oh, oh yeah, thank you. In the description as well. When is it um, going out? Do you know? Um, it will be. I believe the 11th of Oh, September. so pretty soon. Oh, okay. Perfect thing to make at this time of year is a summer pudding. Um, there's a good summer pudding recipe on, on the, on the um, website, which you, if you make with cake instead of bread, it's extra delicious. That's just my top tip. There's lots of cheap soft fruit at this time of year, you know, going into <clears throat> the end of summer, start of September. So yeah, make a summer pudding whilst it's fairly cheap to make. That's my, that's my advice. Sounds like good advice. I might take that <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, okay. And I guess just before we wrap up the podcast, um, you have a book that mm. came out this year um, called the, it's about sugar. Yeah. A dark history of sugar. That's the one. Yeah, um, I wrote it down during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> that is an achievement. Well, I didn't realise. It's one of the things where you sit and you go, okay, I think I know about this. This is going to be a book. You know, there's loads to write. And then when you really get into the, the, the thick of it, you realise just how much you didn't know. So what became what I thought was a fairly straightforward... <laughs> story ended up being quite complicated and um and quite stressful you know there's a lot you know um there's a lot you know we're talking the news or in culture a lot at the moment about uh the after effects of colonialism and slavery you know there's the echoes of which are still very much bouncing around actually they're not echoes because they're still very loud um and if you look at it, the whole reason that we have an empire, from the British point of view anyway, and colonialism, is really because of sugar. And they can't, slavery and sugar cannot really be eked apart. They're so closely connected. In fact, some people just call it slave sugar or sugar slave, all one word, <laughs> um, because they are the same. And we wouldn't have had that without the empire. And the empire wouldn't have happened without it. So, um, you know, I ended up, you know, there was all the Black Lives Matter protests happening as I was writing here, thinking, oh my God, <laughs> this is all really relevant. It's quite stressful. Um, but uh, I'm really proud of it, actually. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, there's lot, there's lots of dark sides to sugar. There's not just making it, but there's, you know, um, eating it and the bad, uh, you know, the effects we have on our health and the way we've been manipulated by the people selling it, you know, is actually quite shocking too. So it turned out there was quite a lot to get my teeth into. Wow. Yeah, that is, that sounds like a really interesting thing to delve into, but also, um, yeah, quite a, a deep and a heavy subject. Yeah, it's, it's certainly sobering. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's for sure. It's not a, an easy read. I mean, I could have gone down the route of saying, okay, dark side of sugar, I could make this a bit kind of fun and go, oh, has anybody poisoned anyone with sugar? Or, you know, you could try and find more humorous things to look at. But I kind of thought, well, I didn't really think, in the case of sugar, doing something like that was appropriate. It's like, if, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, and it turns out, you know, because, I mean, puddings fits into this. You know, I mentioned them quite a few times in the book, you know, because we've just talked lovingly about puddings, which are full of sugar to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. And... You know, sugar manipulates us. It's been manipulating us since we were, you know, cavemen, <laughs> for want of a better word, um, into us thinking that it's good and great and fantastic when it's not. But of course, it used to be a rare thing then. It's not now. So it, it, it paid for us to fill our faces mm-hmm. when it was a fleeting thing, maybe if you found a beehive. But now it's everywhere. Our brains don't know what century they're in. And we're still wanting it all the time like it's some rare delicious thing so that's essentially the crux of it it's our stupid evolution not catching up with our own technology i suppose so if you're interested in reading uh the book um you can that's available just normally isn't it in, in the- yeah yeah it's published by um, pen and sword history um who I think for the next few weeks or maybe the rest of the rest of September, I think they're doing a, a bit of a sale. I think there's maybe 25% off at the moment or maybe 20. There's some percents off. <laughs> <laughs> there is an amount of discount. Yes. <laughs> People should definitely get it as soon as they hear this episode. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, and if anybody has any follow-up questions they want to ask me about it, you know, ask me on Twitter or whatever. I'm always very happy to ask people's, you know, queries. And where can you... Answer their queries, even. What's your Twitter? My Twitter's at Neil Buttery. Nice and easy. There's not many Neil Butteries in the world, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very good name. It is. I used to hate it as a kid, but now now I like it. Okay, well, um, yeah, I think we have have a lot of... um... A lot of pudding related uh, podcasts to get through so thank you very much for telling us all the many varied history of puddings um it's been a great time well thank you for uh yeah asking me on it's been really good fun talking about pud <laughs> yeah we we appreciate you saying yes and it it ends up tying into a lot of episode with that we've done before so that's quite fun Mm, it's good when that happens isn't it
Um, so if you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread and get access to a Discord server where we chat about things we're making and baking and just in general. And there's also monthly recipes, which does include my Welsh cake recipe mm. and my sticky toffee pudding recipe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the good stuff is. <laughs> um, we also have a uh, uh, oh, you just forgot the page one. Uh, we also have a Twitter at Bread and Thread, where you can find teasers for upcoming episodes, pictures, um, and links to things that we talk about on the podcast. That's kind of where our sort of show notes go, um, and also any related things that we retweet um and we also have uh, or you can email us at bread and thread podcast at gmail.com um if you have if your favorite pudding recipes that you want to send in or if you have any questions um comments or you want to request a topic for us to talk about we're also on tumblr at bread and thread which is the same sort of stuff as the Twitter, except it's stuff that we come across on Tumblr instead of stuff we come across on Twitter. Uh, and we also are on YouTube, again, Bread and Thread, where we have YouTube video versions of our audio podcast, if, as some people prefer it that way. Um, and I, I think that's all of the Bread and Thread places. It is. We always do that. We're always like, is that everything? <laughs> I always forget to say things on mine. Um, so, thank you again to Neil for coming on. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>